Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Drive through the south on any given day, and you stop somewhere at a gas station or uh, we're in conversation with people from the south, And you said the name Bear. The first thing that wouldn't come to those people's minds would not be a bear in the woods, the big, you know, furry, scary creature. If you said the word bear, the first thing that would come to mind is the legendary coach at Alabama whose name was Bear Bryant. An iconic cultural figure, not only in the South, but all through college football. Bear Bryant is revered, revered by, I would say, millions of people. Known for his um, demanding uh, style of coaching, yet always with the intent of trying to get the very best out of his players. For decades, for decades, he produced teams that produced in such an excellent way that actually he won six national titles. My favorite story with Bear Bryant was actually before he went to Alabama where he won six titles, but before then he was at Texas A&M. And it was a a, a game on uh, one particular Saturday in the fall when Texas A&M was playing Arkansas. Texas A&M was up seven to six um, and they had the ball. And all they needed to do was basically run out the clock to win the game. But unfortunately, uh, there in the last waning minutes of the game, their starting quarterback injured himself. And so Bear Bryant was forced to put in his backup quarterback, Roddy Osborne. And before Osborne went out on the field as a backup, right, Bear grabbed his shoulder pads, looked in his face, and said these words, Under no circumstance was he to throw the football. Just run. The clock is our friend. Throwing the ball brings in a lot of variables. Just don't throw the football. First play, Roddy's in there. He actually catches a seam, winds up hitting the 20, uh, to the 20-yard line of Arkansas. Nice gain. Uh, they're doing what they're supposed to. Still time to, they have to run another play. And Roddy drops back, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees the wide receivers going to the end zone. Roddy's a backup, doesn't get a lot of time, not a lot of glory as a backup quarterback. And in, that, in his mind, in that split second, he decides, I think I can throw a touchdown pass. And so Roddy, on the run, throws the football. And you know what happened. Out of nowhere, an Arkansas defender steps in front of the pass. The fastest guy on the Arkansas team in their secondary. He catches the ball with open field in front of him. All of a sudden, this game is going to flip on one play. And he sprints toward the other end zone. If you were watching this game, you would have seen something super amazing. Because as the fastest guy on the Arkansas team is running for what we call a pick six, a sure touchdown, and a win, 
all of a sudden, one of the slowest guys on the Texas A&A team, the backup quarterback, runs him down at the 10-yard line as the clock expires. As they met at, at, at midfield, the Arkansas coach is still just blown away by what just happened. And he looks at Bear as they shake hands at the end of the game, and he says, what was that? How did he do that? To which Bear looked at him and said, well, your player, man, he was running to score a touchdown to win the game for your team. My player was running for his own life. Right? The motivation that comes sometimes. And as we finish this series on the Sermon on the Mount, week 12, I don't want to cast Jesus quite in the light of Bear Bryant. But I do want us to understand, as we've all learned in our own life, that the people that are most valuable in our lives are not only the people that love and encourage us the most, but the people that see what we can become and hold us accountable to what we can become. That's why if you look back over your own life, those people that you would say are the most valuable are not only the ones that loved and supported you the most and encouraged you, but the ones that also came alongside you and continued to push you along to the best version of who you could be. And in the most perfect way, beyond any earthly example, our Lord is that. And in these closing words of the sermon, we see that the Lord has shared all of this, you know, earth-shattering truth, this way of the kingdom, and now he is finishing this sermon in such a perfect way. And I'm afraid too much of what we see of Jesus is today is a little flawed. We've forgotten that not only is he the epitome of love, but in his love, he always is calling us to a, def- a firm, decisive action to trust in who he is. And how he calls us to live. You know this whole sermon is the incredible plan of God for his people. God, the good and gracious God who wants to bless his children. To experience how he created this world to be lived out in. Our fallen world has so distorted the idea of what this looks like and what blessing is. And we continue to do our own thing and find disappointment in what we consider to be blessing. This sermon is the linchpin in how God has designed for us to live blessed. It is a following after experiencing mimicking the life that Jesus himself lived. Now I would remind you that as these words share and as the gospel is fully uh, communicated to us in the scriptures that the only way that we can see this happen in our life to experience the blessed life is to open our heart to the spirit of Jesus and allow him to begin this life changing transforming process of changing our heart 
as we said every week pretty much, the focus of this sermon is not on behavior modification, but it's about heart transformation. You want to be blessed? Do you want to experience life in its fullness? The only thing that needs to have your soul attention above everything else is to just allow your heart to be changed by the Spirit of Jesus. Blessing is where this exists. The Sermon on the Mount is not a whole another standard of living and a list to do and, and a way to, okay, i got to grip my teeth and try harder and, whoa, I thought living like this was, wow, now I have to like add to and understand deeper and, man, I don't even see how this is possible in my life and I, how in the world am I going to modify my behavior? The heart of the Sermon on the Mount is just open your heart to the Spirit of Jesus and allow Him to do this work in you. In fact, I would say as we finish this sermon series that the most important question you can be asking yourself every week is this, is my heart being changed or growing into the heart and life of Jesus? And so as we look at these last 17 verses, Jesus ends His sermon with a command and a strong and unmistakable direct action for us to take. It's almost like Jesus is it's a perfect sermon. Like he rolls this information out. He introduces the heart of, of how we should live and act in the beginning. Then the body of the sermon is all of this uh, uh, illustrative content. And then he finishes uh, with a call to action. It's like it's make up your mind time on the mountain. You know, this whole sermon has been a contrast. It's a contrast of the kingdom and religion and the ways of this world. It's obvious that Jesus is positioning our lives to be seen in this contrast. This twofold decision for us to make. And as he finishes, it becomes widely apparent as he shares about two gates, wide and narrow, two ways, broad and narrow, two destinies, life and destruction, two crowds, many and few, two trees, good and corrupt, two fruits, good and bad, two behaviors, the sayers and the doers, two builders, the wise and the foolish, two foundations, Rock and sand, two houses, one stood and one falls. And so, as I approach this last sermon, uh, I'm deeply, deeply aware of the fact that all that we've shared truly does come down to then uh, what Jesus showed us in the question, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? about what I have taught you. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? He opens these last few verses in this way. Um, if you're looking at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. And here's what I would, I want to make a point 
at the beginning. I want to make a point at the end. Two points. So you can just relax. And this is what I would say first. I want you to consider this as we look through these scriptures. Blessing isn't convenient, but intentional. Blessing isn't convenient, but intentional. To experience this life that Jesus has for us and calls us to live into, uh, convenient would not be a word to understand how this is accomplished. I don't wake up, stumble in, born in, just all of a sudden it happens. Blessing isn't convenient, but intentional. That's the first thing I want you to think through as we look at these words. Jesus said, enter, or you must enter, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Enter the narrow gate. It's command. In the imperative form in the Greek. It's in a call for an immediate response. It is a command without an alternative. No doubt a lot of people as he talked, and we know from the last few verses of this recorded scripture uh, that the, when Jesus finished these teachings, the crowds were amazed because he taught with authority and not like anything they had ever seen. But Jesus in this amazing teaching is calling people not to simply admire the truth of what he's saying. He's inviting them and us to enter into the words that he has taught. Jesus would go on in the rest of his ministry and remind them, as he does here, that this gate, enter, enter through the narrow gate, that he himself is that gate. He would say things later like, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I notice as Jesus talks about gates and roads here, that he is talking to people who are religious in nature. And honestly, the implication of this verse is not Christianity versus non-Christianity. Uh, listen, all around where you look, people are promising good things. Religions always promise God, promise hell. No one sells, or promise heaven. No one sells hell. No one does. And Jesus is talking to a group of people who have learned so much about God through the Old Testament scriptures and have begun to live this life uh, as their teachers had taught them of religion. And Jesus is saying, what I'm calling you to in this new kingdom is to enter in this narrow gate. That all around you what, seeing go what you see going on is not what I'm calling you to. 
You know, the nature of this narrow gate, the nature of who Jesus is, and what he's implying here is that he's calling you and I to do one of the hardest things, the hardest thing we could ever do, to lay down our own lives, our own self-sufficiency, our own ability, our own uh, misconstrued idea that we can fix ourselves. He is calling us the narrow gate that he's calling us to enter in and into this blessed life starts with a complete admission that I have nothing, I am nothing, I am lost, I am hopeless, I am broken, and unless something outside of me acts upon my life, there is no hope for me. It's in direct contrast to the religions of our world and even the religions of what the Jewish people had become in this sense of, well, God has done some things, but then I must help in this process. The narrow gate is, it goes back to the first words that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you with me? Yeah. Jesus is calling us, enter. Don't stand outside, make a choice. And what I'm calling you to choose is to throw yourself completely on me. To forsake anything about yourself. To forsake any kind of Jesus plus. But just be poor in spirit. Mourn over your sin. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the narrow gate. It's only me. There's a lot of personalities out there, isn't there, today? A lot of people that we like to follow and we, we gain knowledge and perspective from. I, I have the same thing. I could throw out some and you'd be like, yeah, I follow them, whatever, when they have podcasts too. Jesus is saying the only podcast truly in your life is me. I'm the narrow gate. Only What's amazing is these Jewish people, their whole identity was in their heredity. He's speaking to people who, by virtue of what they were born into, they were blessed. They were the seed of Abraham. Like, you just won the genetic lottery, right? Right? That's how they saw themselves every day. Like, I'm just blessed. And in these words, Jesus is calling each one of them, not as a collective, but as an individual. You must enter the gate. It's kind of cool how scripture, in Revelation, Jesus talks about, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, let him open and I will come in. Here, he kind of flips the illustrative script, but the idea is the same, that you and I are called to make a choice to enter or to allow him to enter. J. 
Jesus gives context to this in Luke chapter 13 when it's more broadly explained. And here's what I want you to understand. That Jesus colors this out. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Oh, I'm going to get so weighted down here. i got to be careful. There's a lot to go here. Make every effort. That word in the Greek is strive. Like you've heard me say this before. I love what Dallas Willard says, that grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. That's why Paul said, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, I can only do it energized by Jesus Christ. I have no hope outside of him in me. But I do every, I make every effort to make sure that my heart is completely wide open to his spirit. I can't do anything, but he can't. All I can do is let him. Strive to let him. Enter the narrow Matthew eleven twelve 12 would say this, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It is an amazing statement. It is for people who seize the kingdom. It's not passive. It's not for the weak, the marginal, and the indifferent. Enter the narrow gate. Strive to go through the narrow gate is an intentional, not convenient thing. To experience the blessed life of Jesus in me and then Jesus through me, making me like him, is something that you and I will find to not be convenient, but intentional. And I want to just come alongside the, Jesus in my small and failing way and remind you, as a good football coach would today, that yes, Jesus is the epitome of love, but in his love, he is calling you and I to decisive action. Jesus in your life is not an add-on. Jesus in your life is not a, a, a kind of an indifferent thing, give or take. The kingdom will never happen if he's kind of on the margins of your heart. You know, like, yeah, I'm kind of hot for him now. Then I go through a little bit of life and I'm cold. And yeah, I'm kind of with his people and then I'm not. No! Make every effort. Strive to enter the narrow gate. The life of living in me. All right, I've belabored that point. If you've got it, say amen. amen. I'll move on. That's all I need to know. Right? There's this narrow gate Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Man, these words are sobering, are they not? Like to realize that to live for Jesus will never be the popular thing to do. You will never fit in if you follow Jesus. What have you been living for? Like if you're if your pursuit, if your goal is to, you know, be widely respected and accepted and all of the things the world standards have, you're probably going to find it very hard to follow Jesus and live in his kingdom. 
they don't, they don't jive. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. For those of you out there that I just got to keep moving. I'm sorry. It's 16 verses and I want to do it. I want to just sit here for the whole time, but I can't. Why is it so hard? Well, it's Isaiah 55 that reminds us, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous his thoughts. It's the rich young ruler coming to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Enter the narrow gate. Right? The heart of this. Jesus, Matthew chapter 16. If any man will come after me, let him take up his, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You see this contrast, wide and narrow. Bring your pride, bring your sin, bring your self-righteousness. The wide The wide way is no call to repentance, no commitment to the life of obedience to Christ. Narrow is this this pressed, confining way of radical obedience to Jesus. You see in these verses, there's two destinations. The broad road leads to destruction. This doesn't mean annihilation. It actually is referring to everlasting torment is destruction. It's the worst destruction. The narrow way leads to life. There's two crowds, the few and the many. Again, as I said, you will never completely fit in following Jesus. But watch as he continues to call them to action. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is very, very vivid imagery. Like fire is, yeah, the kind of fire you're thinking. Thus, by their fruit, you will know them. Not only, not only... Is he calling us to radically trust in Jesus Christ, but to also be aware, as there always has been, is there's people who will call you to a life that falls far short of this kingdom obedience to Jesus. And we see this all the time, don't we, right now? It's like every other week, some celebrity pastor is resigning. Because honestly, the fruit of their life has been exposed. That's why it's so dangerous for you and I to to follow after teachers if we don't know their life. Yes, I I supplement my life with, I'm thankful for the internet and all the things that we have access to, but I also understand that I must be very discerning in understanding who are these people? What do they teach? Do I have a feeling for who they are? Who do they associate with? What are they about? What are they producing? Keep it moving. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the only one who does 
the will of my Father who's in heaven. That's why, what are you going to do about it? Many will say to me on that day, that day is the judgment day. Maybe you haven't heard or maybe we haven't talked about it enough, but we do all recognize the scriptures teach that we all will stand before a holy God in judgment one of these days. Amen? Yeah, I know, that's not, woo! That's like, oh, shoot. I'll use words, shoot. Oh, shoot! Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. You who practice lawlessness. It's sobering to realize what has been thrown out there as acceptable theology for decade after decade after decade. Who was even reading the words of Jesus when we're teaching things like just say a prayer and you've punched your ticket. Man, that's a soapbox. I'll stay off of it. He who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. And he finishes this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. To me, this is the whole key phrase of this whole passage. Puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains come, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his life on sand. The rains come, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. If I could only tell you the amount of people I've already pastored in my short 14 years, as a young man, right? As a young man, that I have seen this played out over and over and over. The troubles, the afflictions, the hardships of life come to all of us. And to see so many people who have decided, you see, you can't see a foundation, really, can you? You can't see. Everything looks good. We might all look the same. But when the trouble, tribulation, the, 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 the temptations of life, the... the the things that call to us from this world, that pull us and distract us, when they all come in, we all face them. Over and over, I've seen people like, wow, they're just washed away. They're washed away. They're gone. They quit. They leave. They forsake. Because all, all the while, although the house was there, it was not built on the foundation of putting Jesus' words into practice. And I would say the confidence that you and I can have is if you and I are hearing the words of God and then following the words of God. It's what James says, right? 
Don't merely listen to the word, deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but not, does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks into the law that gives freedom and continues in it, who does the will of the Father, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be what? Blessed in what they do. My final point in this series, and I messed it up. <laughs> Blessing comes from putting into practice a routine, routine obedience to the words of Jesus. And I was typing and I forgot through the spirit of Jesus. I will change that for second service. Blessing comes from putting into practice a routine. Did you see? I didn't say perfect obedience. The only one that was able to perfectly obey was Jesus. That's why he was a fitting sacrifice. That's why we trust in him. But it is the call of his life as he comes into our life. He does create in us a routine obedience. The trajectory, the, the, the direction of my life is now putting his words into practice. My prayer for us as we finish this series, so desperately wanting you Myself, as I've been challenged greatly, Justin and I have been talking about this week in and week out, how, man, I don't know if this series has spoken to you, but it's like just laid us flat. And I realize that the only way is for me not to just go, wow, that's incredible. It's for me to walk now in these words. For me to experience the life, the blessed life, the life that's built on a foundation that is unmovable, unshakable, that whatever comes through trial, tribulation, or even temptation, or even the desire, the affection for the things that I know, like that's temporary blessing. Like I want to move to that, but I, I know that that's sand. That it'll be washed away and I'll be left flooded, drowning. But the only way is if I allow my heart and my life to put into practice a routine obedience to the words, the teachings of Jesus through the Spirit of Jesus. And if you're today like overwhelmed by all this like maybe I have been I'm reminding you again that the context of this heart transformation is not behavior modification you can't do this I can't do this it's way too large it's way beyond our capacity but Christ in us can accomplish these things can build our life on a rock, a firm foundation that regardless of what comes or goes in this world, whether it's outside influences or it's the inward struggle of our man, of our flesh, 
that just by staying, following his words in routine, in routine obedience, we will stay on a firm foundation of the rock through the power of his spirit in us. And I simply take you back to the first words of this song. As we finish this series, as we sing a song, and I call for you to just open your heart in these few moments. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The only thing God needs is your humble confession of Him your openness to his spirit and he can accomplish this would you stand this morning as we sing and I pray father as we finish this series Lord you want to change our lives into your image we want to live on this firm foundation we choose to come to you the narrow gate the way the truth and the life and yet we realize that that's not by trying harder or doing better or being more moral. It's simply by coming poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, hungering and thirsting for you. And so, Lord, we just do that this morning. Open our hearts to allowing you to change our lives. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you sing this morning as we finish?
You're the greatest fan of us all. You believe in us more than we even do ourselves. You know what can happen. You know the plans that you've for us. Lord, we recognize that you have this abundant life for us to live into. You simply call us to trust in you so much that we give our lives to you, that we follow your words, and in doing so, we experience blessing. Lord, I just want to come alongside and just pray over us that we would trust you so much that we would give ourselves completely to you and how you showed us to live. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. Be blessed. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.